0: What's up traders, Anthony Crudelli here and thank you for tuning in to the Futures Radio Show podcast. Big show for you guys today. We brought back Mark Dow. Mark is the author at BehavioralMacro.com and private Twitter feed. Do you really know how QE works? I thought I did until I spoke with Mark today. And I think that this is going to be a true eye-opener for many of you out there. I know that we all talk about QE a lot and what's happening with the Fed and central banks, but until we can get a deep understanding of how QE actually works, it's really, I would say, impossible to develop a macro theme on how to go about executing the markets. And I think today, after you hear Mark explain how QE actually works, it may change your mind about a lot of things that you're looking at when you're trading the markets we had a great conversation today about how qe actually works and of course we talked about a bunch of other topics right now in the market money supply what his thoughts are on the dollar and inflation we talked about crypto gold silver and the stock market before i bring you to my interview with mark i want to ask you a quick favor if you're enjoying the show please leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher or anywhere where you're enjoying the Futures Radio Show podcast. Remember, Futures Radio Show is sponsored by CME Group and on May 3rd, CME Group is launching Micro Bitcoin Futures. They are one-tenth the size of the current Bitcoin Futures contract at CME Group. To learn more about Micro Bitcoin Futures, please go to activetrader.com com. This show is also sponsored by Trading Technologies TradeStation and Footsie Russell. The Russell 2000 is a key benchmark for small cap U.S. stocks. Be sure to check out the E-Mini Russell 2000 Futures Symbol RTY and Micro E-Mini Russell 2000 Futures Symbol M2K. To learn more about Footsie Russell and their products, please visit dot Mark, welcome back to the show, my friend.
1: Anthony, thanks for having me back.
0: Great to speak with you. A lot going on today, so I want to jump right into it. And I want to start off with something that I think is extremely important, and you would think that many traders or investors really understand this, but I still, even myself, I listen to a lot of podcasts, I read a lot about you know, what's going on with the Fed, and I don't think a lot of people still fully understand how QE works. I know that you do. (laughs) Uh, Could you explain to all of us how QE actually works?
1: Sure, sure. So it's a a, a bit of background. Before I got into the investment world uh, as a sovereign analyst, that's how I started. Uh, I worked at the Treasury Department and at the International Monetary Fund, and I must have climbed into, I don't know, dozens of, of, central banks to try and help, you know, with, uh, with, uh, with things when they, when they have financial problems. So I got to understand the mechanics of, of, uh, central banking and monetary policy pretty well. It's different in each country, but, uh, the, the building blocks are are roughly similar in the case of the U S uh, I think people just don't get what it means. They, you know, they hear the shorthand printing money, but it's, it's not obviously really that, Uh, basically the way to think about it is an asset swap, right? Uh, So the fed buys bonds. Let's say it buys them from JP Morgan. They buy bonds from uh, JP Morgan and gives JP Morgan a deposit, a demand deposit, basically a site deposit at the fed, uh, at, at the federal reserve. So it's in what they call the federal fund system, right? Now, JP Morgan can't use those funds except to settle with other banks, uh, or, or they can demand, in, if they want, they can demand part of it in currency, but that doesn't really happen so much. So that money is kind of trapped in there and it's used uh, for reserve requirements, you know, because banks have to have liquidity requirements. And for that, you can either have treasuries or, 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 or uh, reserves held at the Fed um, and you can use it to settle with, with, with other banks. That's it. So basically, you're just saying, OK, I'm going to give you my T-bill and you're going to give me a deposit. Maybe the interest rate is roughly roughly the same. So that's it. You're not creating any wealth. There's nothing being injected into the system. You're taking a T tra- a bill out, and and you're putting a deposit uh, in. So I think that's the biggest mistake. People think that that uh, it's adding somehow to the system, but what it's really doing is just changing one high quality uh, li- government liability for uh, for another. Uh, and think about it uh, this way: if, if if you if you have your pie chart of your asset allocation. Uh, and you have 20% of, of uh, your portfolio in T-bills. That's your cash position. Uh, and the the Fed buys it from, buys all 20% from you and gives you a deposit with roughly the same yield. What are you going to do? Are you going to go out and buy Tesla with that? No, because that would mess up your asset allocation, right? You have 20% that's supposed to be in a, in a cash-like product. So uh, it doesn't the, the idea that they're pumping money into the system and then people are turning around and, and buying risky assets with it that is, just not, is just not real. Now, people may decide to buy risky assets because there's a, a placebo effect. People feel good when the Fed gets involved. They think, okay, uh, they've got your back and, and people might take more risk. So they might decide to take their uh, cash allocation down from 20% to 10%, right? But that's a different call. Uh, that that that's, a, that's a different issue from... Uh, being directly affected by uh, QE. So I think that's the right way to think about it. Now, the Fed can also buy bonds through JP Morgan from you or me, right, from our portfolios or, or, or you know, or, or from PIMCO or whomever. And there, um, the deposit, you know, JP Morgan is to credit with a deposit. And then JP Morgan credits PIMCO or you or me or whomever with a deposit. But we have that same issue that um, it's not changing uh, our asset allocation, really, uh, so we're not going to take that money and turn around and change our asset allocation and buy Tesla unless some other reason makes us more bullish. Something else happens that makes us uh, a, a, that increases our risk, our risk appetite. So I think that's the that's the best way to think about it. And and what a lot of people don't get is the reason uh, the Fed balance sheet is so big is because in the wake of the the one of the main reasons uh, it's so big is after the, the global financial uh, uh, crisis, in 2008, they changed a lot of the rules to ensure that banks have a greater liquidity cushion, and they so they need these reserves. They need these reserves as uh, as that liquidity cushion to pr- uh, prove that they can cover cover their liabilities. If there were less bank uh, less uh, regulation or less less onerous liquidity constraints, uh, they would need the banks would not need to hold hold so many reserves.
0: Thank you for that explanation. And there's a couple things I wanna follow up on so you could clarify why these things are happening. The first thing I wanna talk about is money supply. This is yep. not something that I follow uh, a ton in my career as a trader, but it's something that I keep seeing more and more people talk about, and they're saying there's a big surge in money supply. If the Fed is not printing more money, then why are we seeing that surge?
1: Well, what happens is treasuries, uh, so there are two things. now. Uh, one uh, the uh, uh federal reserve uh has uh, what they call base money so it's ba- the, the balance sheet of the federal reserve uh, that's called base money right uh, and then base money is a small percentage of the overall money supply so uh if, if jp morgan creates a credit for you right uh, extends a credit to you that increases the money supply even though the federal reserve wasn't involved at all right they can decide to extend the loan it's not like they go and take their liquidity all they're really doing is crediting is crediting your account right uh, electronically that's what the that's what uh, jp Morgan does now they have to make sure that they have uh the proper capitalization right they have to reserve against the credit risk uh that that they take from from lending and they have to make sure that any deposits arising uh, from that loan have sufficient liquidity provisions, but that's creating the money supply. so I think one of the the first level of confusion is people think that what the uh, the, the base money is the money supply very very different uh, so if, if uh, base money let's say it's ten percent of the overall money supply, you could double it, and the money supply' is only increasing by ten percent right so uh, that that misconception that somehow the Fed is pumping up the money supply they're really only working on a small uh, a small portion of it however what does increase the money supply is if uh, uh is is uh, is the credit from the federal funds rec- facilities that they uh, created in the wake of the covid crisis right remember all these facilities uh, that they were lending yeah uh, that creates that creates money supply right and the the other thing is the treasury can take uh it's so the treasury also keeps deposits with the fed And they're counted as reserves. If the Treasury drains that money uh, to make fiscal payments, right, the fiscal spending, uh, that also injects money into the system. So it's not uh, really so much from the Fed increasing its balance sheet. It's from uh, lending as a result of Fed uh, facilities, lending in the context of the economy and the Treasury uh, drawing down on its deposits at the Fed.
0: The next thing I want to talk about, I want to get back to money supply because I definitely have some follow-ups there, but I want to talk about really, I want to stay on how QE works and and what a lot of people will say because of QE, look what's happening in the stock market. Look what's happening in a lot of assets. I mean, we're going to talk about inflation today for sure. But everybody says that, not everybody, but a lot of people do, say that because of QE, that's why we have a stock market as high as we do Well, what do you say about that then
1: well i think the simple thing is 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 they're kind of implying that the stock market couldn't be here if not for qe right correct kind of implying, but we had higher valuations in 2000 in in the dot-com bubble and fed funds was at five or six percent and we didn't have any qe whatsoever so it's certainly not a requirement uh for uh for us uh to have higher valuations i i just uh Reject that notion entirely because uh it just it's it's kind of defined by history, so we had we had five percent uh fed funds rate and we and we had a bigger bubble in in two thousand in two thousand five six, and seven we had the uh nastiest vintages of mortgages issued right that's when all the really bad mortgage, mortgages went out. Fed funds rate was also at five percent. Yet you fast forward to 2010, 2011 when we were doing QE and had rates at zero, and no one was lending and no one was borrowing, right? So I mean we all understand the the idea that lower lower interest rates mean people want to borrow more, but people also have to lend, so it's really a function of risk appetite. So like I said, if had there, I mean we have a very clear example of an instance where with no QE and higher rates we had higher valuations. So they're not necessary. It's people's intuition that they're they 're printing money and giving it to people that 's kind of how people think about it and when you go and look at it as an asset swap they 're just taking treasuries out of the system, retiring treasuries and and uh, giving the system deposits uh, no no change in buying power uh, it, then it, it makes a lot more sense but what what I, I does make sense to me uh, is what they call the minsky process there There was an economist named Hyman Minsky and he's the one who said uh, 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 stability." breeds instability and it's it's analogous to that JP Morgan quote that I, I posted the other day on Twitter that's nothing, nothing um I, something along the lines of nothing makes uh, nothing makes a man lose um financial good sense faster than watching his neighbor get rich so, so people basically uh when they take risk uh, it's not uh, primarily about the interest rate and if their interest rate is really really high and they have to borrow then it matters but mostly, they're just saying, "I feel like I'm in a good position, and I and I see other people taking risk, and I want to make money too," and that tends to build over the course of a risk cycle. So you end every cycle with high valuations, no matter what the Fed funds rate is or what QE, what what uh, you know, whether or not they're doing QE. I think people miss uh, miss that point. But the other saying that that's pretty powerful is uh, when a concept is uh, simple. And intuitive, it's really hard to disabuse people of it, no matter how false it might be. And the intuition behind they're printing money and the money's flooding the system is really, really powerful, but it's wrong.
0: Okay, so I understand what you're saying. And but what I think about when I hear you talk about this is the Fed is not. The reason why the stock market is up, but when I hear you talk about it, it sounds to me as though it changed the behavior of how people looked at the stock market. So in a sense, yes. it, it's not directly related to it, but it's the way that people are if, yes, reacting to it. Yes, I
1: call it a placebo it. effect. There's yes. A kind of a placebo, people believe that's what happens. So it gives them confidence and they yes. start taking more and they start taking more risk. It's not because oh, oh, resources have been added to the system. People are richer and, and they want to buy stocks with it. Uh, it's it's basically that they feel better about it the, 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 because, you know, daddy's got the training wheels on him kind of thing. <laughs> that, that's a exactly little bit how, how it works. So th- there's a placebo effect that obviously, as people figure figure out how these things work, becomes less powerful. and That's you know in the long term that 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 might be a concern for 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 the fed right if everyone you know the emperor has no clothes kind of thing uh there's a little a little bit of that but uh really that's 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 how it works and interestingly it's not even necessary you know base money uh the fed balance sheet is not necessary to extend credit i there's a statistic that i cite uh from uh got, i just from one of my blog posts really that uh between Uh, I think it was like 19 when the bull market began or 1983 and there was deregulation right around there uh, until 2008, you know, right around the time of the, of the crisis uh, credit in the system, right? Credit extended by banks increased by, I don't know how many trillion Uh, base money over that time, you know, the fed balance sheet, what's affected by QE didn't increase at all, not $1. It actually went down slightly. So people have this idea that the Fed puts the money in the system and the banks take that money and then they loan it out. And and it just doesn't work. It doesn't work that way uh, at all. Uh, so there's just some big uh, bis- big misconceptions. But there is a placebo effect for sure. Uh, and uh, you have to be cognizant of it. The, the Fed, and and in terms of, of making sure that markets uh, function uh, continuously, uh, you know, the pricing is not discontinuous and that there are no market failures. It does chop off some of the, the you know kind of the left tail of the distribution, and, and make people feel better about uh, taking risks. So that that's a that's a material effect.
0: Thinking about this, what about the flip side? Now it can change the behavior if the Fed shifts and changes course from what this behavior is now. Been, yeah. Right. I mean, yes. if the flip side is, it could be whether it's not directly related to what right. the Fed did or does do going forward it now changes the behavior to the downside. No,
1: it does. uh, But this, it it absolutely does. You know, the withdrawal, the placebo effect. will, will. you know, this is why we had the taper tantrum, right? And
0: yes,
1: and and similar shocks. However, we end up getting over those because they're not real. That's the difference, right? That's the difference. So uh, a a great uh, example is recently with interest rates. When they backed up, when they started to move fast, And, you know, people got scared and they looked around they say, I've got a lot of profits in my recent trades as well. So maybe I should just take some off the table. And then if you look at it, uh, you look at the stocks like that that were allegedly most affected, right, by by the interest rates going higher. And they were just going sideways. Uh, So we had these moments uh, of fear, but we end up, uh, you know, yields go to a new level. We get scared and then people go, "Okay, it's no big deal. And then uh, and then we and then we bounce back. But but yields stay kind of where where uh where they move to so we get used to it right i mean the stock market does tend to go up over time companies are not gonna uh you know if the fed moves the policy rate from zero to one and a half let's say over the course of a a couple few years that's not going to stop a business from making money right if if, it's not going to stop a business with legitimate opportunities for borrowing it's not that's a hurdle rate that anybody with a reasonable business can cross
0: well, good businesses will always figure out a way to make money, and right. no, the stock market is not meant to go down. They're always there's people running these great companies, and they're not stupid. And but time. the thing is that they don't. It, it's really of the uncertainty, probably of the initial shock. When you talk about the taper tra- tantrum or other things, that everyone, everything is momentum now. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. It's like it's momentum up, and as fast as things get overvalued, they can get undervalued, and and then people start to look around and say, well, can we deal with what the new normal is? And that's why the, I think the corrections back to the upside are are so quick because in today's world, people seem to figure things out so much quicker.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And then as soon as they see some people taking risk, other guys go, oh, the, the water's warm. I'm going to jump in too.
0: Exactly. Particularly
1: at this phase of the risk cycle where it's a little bit more, it's a little later, people are quick to take risk, right? Because they've been conditioned over the past years. Uh, there was a period, I'm sure you remember, in 2000. 10 11, 12, 13, people were not, uh, were not so willing to take risk. In fact, if you remember there was that whole thing about passive investing and it, it's still a thing, but it was the only way people were investing for a long time because they just didn't trust stocks and this was, and that was a way to kind of close your eyes, hold your advisor's hand and know you're going to hit singles over the long run and not have to sweat about all the drawdowns. Now later in the cycle, people say, forget the passive investing. I want to buy you know pick hot stock of the day. And then people want to chase it. That's just because over time in this Minsky process that I was describing earlier, risk appetite increases until we take, we get to the point where we're taking it too far. We're all over levered and out over our skis. Something happens and we start to unwind in recent economic cycles. That process was exacerbated by the banks themselves having too much leverage. So the core, the systemic core of, of our financial, uh, 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 of our financial system uh, was Threatened, and they and they had to. Uh, they basically had a, a massive margin call, so there was no one to absorb uh, the you know the typical market the typical market panic. They were part of the panic, and uh, that brought about uh, you know risking the you know put the system at risk at at a couple of different times. But the 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 whether it, it, you know you can't stop this price this process of starting the risk cycle very conservatively. Thinking about uh, the re- the last time you lost money and ending ending it in full in full fledged greed. If you if you were to stop that, you would stop capitalism. But what you can do is uh, get your regulatory environment right, get your macroprudential rules right, so that the system is girded against these kinds of swings in sentiment. So when the stock market goes too far and there's a big sell off, it doesn't contaminate uh, the the underlying economy through the banking system and the shadow banking system.
0: Well, traders, look, I'm loving this conversation so far, but we got to pause for 45 seconds. And when we come back, I want to talk more about money supply uh, with you, Mark. I'm going to talk about the dollar, uh, what you think about everybody's thoughts on inflation. uh, and, And maybe we'll talk a little bit about crypto, too. So hang tight, traders, we'll be back in 45 seconds. Replace your exchange with TradeStation Crypto. Dealing with multiple exchanges is complicated, and it takes time, except with TradeStation Crypto, because we are not an exchange. We are a broker. You have access to multiple pools of liquidity, all in one platform, in one account, one way. Trade crypto your way, plus
1: earn interest on your eligible cryptocurrencies. Get started in one click.
0: Traders, we're going to pause for 15 seconds, and we'll be right back. Trade the global markets with Trading Technologies. TT is the world's fastest commercially available futures trading platform. Now with integrated tools for advanced options trading, cryptocurrencies, and trade surveillance. Learn more at tradingtechnologies.com. Welcome back, traders. I hope you're loving this conversation as much as I am. Really learning a ton from you, Mark. I do learn a ton from you every time we speak. And I want to go back to money supply because... Like I mentioned earlier, this is not something that I I watch a ton as a trader, but now I'm seeing more and more of the macro people that I respect talk about it. So I obviously have to take note of it because I want to see what it's going to or how it's going to impact markets and and the economy. The money supply is surging. Uh, Does that concern you for the dollar? Does that concern you for inflation? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, the, the big surge really is uh, the combination of the fiscal stimulus that, uh, the, uh, that the Treasury has put out uh, and the Fed, uh, Federal Reserve facilities, right? So in, in the first instance, it's, 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 it's trying to help us heal. Uh, so I don't see that as a negative. Once that calms down and kind of works its way through the system, uh, then we should have money supply growth based on lending you know banks getting back to their their normal activity so i'm not worried about it a big surge is just kind of you know uh, uh, part of the healing process I, I, I guess what's different though and i i i think is in the past we had big monetary stimulus but not so much fiscal fiscal stimulus and yes people feared uh inflation when uh, we had the monetary stimulus, but th- th- that's really not for reasons we explained r- earlier. It's, it's, not a, it's not a real threat. Just because there's uh, a lot of reserves in the system doesn't mean anybody wants to, wants to lend. Fiscal, though, gets pumped into the system. I mean, part of the reason trickle-down never worked is because people are giving incentives, and, and, right? They'll cut your taxes, but you might not want to spend it. They're going to make... Uh, the, the bank has more reserves, but they don't want to lend. Uh, fiscal gets into the system. And so there's a genuine chance that plus some damage that was done to the supply uh, chains as a result of COVID has, uh, for the first time, a decent chance of generating some inflation. I don't think it's going to be that big, and I don't think it's going to last that long. But for the first time, there's a real chance at at, at, uh, at getting some inflation. And the th- reason I don't think it's going to be that big is because, People have underestimated significantly uh, with the changes, structural changes in the economy with respect to inflation. If you just think about the changes uh, in 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 supply chains, right, just in time, uh, uh, inventories and all kinds of technological uh, developments that have made the supply side m- uh, more agile, more global, more flexible. Uh, than, uh, than, than ever was the case before. It used to be in an economic cycle. If you're producing widgets, you had to guess what demand was going to be and start producing them and hope that, the, that, that your guess was right. Uh, but now you, you can wait until you see the whites of the eyes of demand and then produce. And that, that's a very, very different equation. And, and, and I think, um, it, it, I, I know I was surprised even uh, by how well our supply chains held up with the COVID shock. And I've been, you know, on this bandwagon of, of you know, s- supply chain optimism for some time, and I was still impressed. Uh, so I think we're going to see that now as well. The supply, the, the holes in the supply chain uh, will be patched faster than people think. And will uh, we'll, we'll uh, ramp that back up to meet demand. Cause what happened with the fiscal stimulus, they propped up demand so it didn't fall as much as it otherwise would, but supply to some extent did fall. And 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 uh, that's going to have to come back to meet this uh, to meet this demand. And I think it's going to do it's going to do so more quickly uh, than than people think.
0: So you agree with the Fed that it's transitory?
1: I do. I do. We're going to everyone's talking about the base effects right now from last year. It makes the year on year numbers quite high. We're going to probably see some numbers with a forehandle that could scare people. But it's it's a base effect, right? It's because uh, prices took a big a, a, a big hit, inflation took a big hit in uh, in, in March and April of, of last year when when COVID uh, put down you know put down the hammer. So I, I think I'm not too I'm not worried about it. Now there's risk that I'm wrong. I, I, I am not nearly as confident as I was in 2009 about not be, there not being inflation when the stimulus was primarily monetary. Now we have a shot at it, but I just don't I don't see uh, uh the kind of self-reinforcing process to make it uh to make it uh, uh you know last to make it per- to make it persistent what i see is the supply chain responding very quickly uh, as the demand uh you know is unleashed and uh and that will quell uh some of uh, the, the the inflationary pressures
0: what are your thoughts on the us dollar uh you hear a lot of macro people say that the dollar is just going to get crushed uh, what are your thoughts on it?
1: Well, they said this and they, and they said it for the same reason back in 2008, 2009, and it didn't happen. Right. We had a big expansion of, 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 of the money supply or it wasn't the money supply. It was base money, right. The QE and, and people, then the money supply did not expand because these other, these other things weren't that we mentioned earlier, the fed facilities, uh, the credit facilities and uh, the, the fiscal stimulus wasn't, 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 wasn't there. But um you know, people are saying the exact same thing for the exact same reason. They think they're printing money and adding it to the system, but they're really just swapping out liabilities. They're taking treasury liabilities out of the system and putting deposit liabilities in the system, and that's it. So I I think it's nonsense. Uh, It's nonsense. Now, we can talk about longer-term implications of the dollar as a reserve currency and whether there'll be challengers, but this idea that we're going to be debasing the dollar, I mean, we heard all these same arguments back, back in 2008, 2009, 2010 and, and none of them uh, came to fruition. Typically what you see with the dollar, I mean the dollar responds to two main things in, in my in my experience. One, higher yields. If our yields are higher than the rest of the world, then we'll t- we're, we're going to uh, uh, tend to attract money. And with the steepening of the yield curve over the past few months, uh, that 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 makes it attractive for foreign for for foreign investors. They can buy treasuries on a currency hedge basis, uh, or outright, uh, and uh, the combination is 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 uh, slightly dollar positive. So that's one reason, one thing that moves moves the dollar. The other thing that moves the dollar is risk appetite you know when people are a little bit more risk averse they they stay closer to home they invest in what they know as as uh, the risk cycle progresses and people move out the risk spectrum they start reaching for more exotic investments you know chinese internet or you know whatever brazilian airplane companies whatever it happens to be uh, and and that tends to be dollar negative right so those are the two factors and at any one time you can have, uh, you know, one or some combination of them working on, on the dollar. That's what, really, that's what really drives it. It's not about, uh, you know, the, the, the size of the Fed balance sheet. It's, it's, it really it's irrelevant uh, to the dollar. Apart from signaling mechanism and, and influencing people's mistaken narratives, but from a mechanistic standpoint, it, ha- it has no bearing. It's not like they're increasing the supply and therefore the dollar has to go down. That's the mechanistic way that people look at it, but it just doesn't work like that. And we see, and if you look back over time, you can see from the correlations that that's the case.
0: I think it takes me back to where we started the show today, and part of me thinks that the way that some people think QE works is wrong in your eyes, and that's why they see some of these things happening that don't end up happening or may not.
1: That's right, and, and and the the good news here is we kind of have a little bit of an experiment because we did have QE back in two thousand eight, two thousand and ten, even two thousand eleven. The interesting thing is uh, the 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 gold bubble last time kind of peaked as uh, they were announcing QE three and as they were implementing QE three. So uh, it kind of ruins the narrative. If you if you look back over time and see how the dollar behaved, uh, you know after QEs. It's you can't see any cause and effect from it, and I and th- 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 you can have the same thing now. Some people might try and weave it into their narrative. If they see the dollar go down, people will start talking about it. But it seems like that you know there's some people that just they have an ideological view, but they don't like government uh, and they don't really understand QE, and so they just assume it's gonna it's gonna be bad. And there are only two possible uh, stories behind the dollar. One is that the dollar's rising, and it's gonna you know crush all of all, all, all countries around the world and then turn the gun on itself. Right. Kind of thing. And then the other one is that, Oh my gosh, they're debasing the dollar it's crashing and we're going to have rampant inflation. And just the, the that's just not a, a very realistic understanding of, of, of how these things work. Although, like I said, they get, can, they get woven into narratives in the short term in response to price action. You, I mean, you're, you know, you're a trader. So uh, we often look at the price action and then develop the narrative. We decide whether or not the fed uh, was dovish or hawkish at its press conference by the price action afterwards, not by what they say.
0: Right? No, absolutely.
1: And and we know the price action is often a function of the positioning going in and not so much about the event itself necessarily.
0: I 100% agree with that. And anybody to so I think who that's why it me. gets
1: into narratives. They see the you know, dollar goes down for a few days pretty hard. And people say, oh, it must be because they're printing money or the dollar goes up. And they say, oh, you know, some, there's always a story, a, a doom and gloom story, but it, it there's no relationship between QE and the value of the dollar. It's just not there.
0: Is this the reason why you're a gold bear? (laughs) Right? Because the
1: the reason I'm a gold bear is, uh, well, I think the both for, for gold and crypto, the monetary understanding of its advocates is really poor. So now gold's going down, Bitcoin's going up. So, the guy the Bitcoin guys, think they're right uh, in in their analysis of, of of monetary policy, but it's really, really poor analysis. Uh, the gold and similar to the gold guys, it's usually some type of paranoia. I'm afraid of the government doing bad things and without really without really understanding it. Uh, so, but the the real reason for being bearish. So I, I don't like a lot of the negativity. I don't like the excess of cynicism because it damages our institutions. You know, I've been around the world a lot and I've been to like 80 countries and, and I've worked in, in, in a lot of uh, political economies. And I know what makes us better than than uh, all the other countries is the quality of our institutions. Now they're not perfect, but they're better than anywhere else. Would you rather go in front of a judge here or almost any other country on planet earth? Maybe New Zealand would be better. I don't know, but Pretty much, you know, that's that's that, that uh, that's what makes us uh, stand apart. You know, we hate the IRS, but it works reasonably well. There are a lot of institutions that that, that are that uh, that are good, and the quality of our institutions uh, gets denigrated uh, when people are excessively cynical. And I, I, a lot of the narratives uh, that are propagated by gold bugs and and uh, and uh, you know. Uh, Crypto, uh, crypto crew are, are excessively cynical because they sell, not only is it, is it, is it positive for the assets that, that they're promoting, but as we know, negative sells, right? Uh, FUD sells, uh, fear, uncertainty, and what's it, uh, something like that. Uh, so I, I, these guys do damage to the system with their excessive cynicism, that's, that's the biggest thing. But also gold, stop being a monetary asset Back in you know when, when Nixon closed the gold window, it, it's no longer monetary. It's not a monetary asset. Yes, yeah, some central banks have it on their balance sheet, but you can't do anything with it. It's not convertible into anything at a fixed rate. Before it was a monetary asset. So it, yes, because it has a long it has hundreds of years of being, of being uh, um, a store of value, uh, a safe store of value. But those were those were different. And so that that memory keeps people particularly older people thinking that gold is a safe haven of some sort but it's just not it it it, it, it doesn't it really is not a good hedge against inflation we saw in the covid crisis and we saw in 2008 when the stock market gets hit hard gold goes down just as hard people liquidate so it's 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 not uh it's not it's not great protection and it's no longer a monetary asset so i think over time people will, will uh come to realize that it's kind of irrelevant uh, and it doesn't do for their portfolios what it did for their grandfather's portfolios, and they will lose interest in it. And things like crypto will accelerate that process because they have a new protection from the big bad government who wants to take everything away from them. Uh, and uh, so that's, that, that's pretty much why I'm a gold bear.
0: I'm not a perma anything, but I've been a bull in gold. Well, first off, Initially, when it went up to the two thousand ish area and then it came down, I was looking to buy dips. I did get hurt. I've talked about this, I've lost money on it, and I did think of it as you know a hedge against central banks using it as a tool to in case we started to get too hot with inflation. that has not worked out and I'm curious if you think and I know that you're a gold bear and you explain all the reasons why, but if inflation does start to run. Hot and we do get more than maybe some people think, where would you go then if it 's not gold, what are the tools that you would use to fight against inflation?
1: Well, if it were to happen, like i said I, I would rather fade inflation fears than 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 buy them, but if I had to, there would be certain sectors in, in uh, certain equities that I think would be hedged right um, uh, real estate is usually a great place because. I mean just your own your your own home. If you've got a mortgage and let's say your loan, you know, your 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 mortgage is fifty percent the value of your house, well your, the value of your mortgage isn't gonna change, but the value of your house will if there's inflation and that's a levered that's a levered bet against it, you know, that that, that would do well uh with inflation. But any sectors uh where uh the, the where you're seeing the inflation where the companies can pass on those prices uh, then then i think you're good or whether there are underlying assets that would benefit from inflation the company has underlying assets then you'd be you'd be fine i think equities are a, equities are a better hedge yes there's a level of inflation that would would create problems for equities too if, if it got really i mean if we got the double digit inflation then people get more conservative in general, and there's a lot more uncertainty in margins and other uh, other issues that w- that uh, would end up being reflected in in multiples, right? In equity multiples, so that that could be damaging. But if we're talking about you know four or five percent inflation, something along those lines, uh, there there I think there are plenty of uh, uh, of equities that could that could hedge you. I don't think tips are a great uh, inflation hedge. I mean they're a partial hedge. But uh, they're slaves to oil a little bit, uh, and it just, yeah, I guess it would help a little, but I, I'm just not I'm just not really excited about them.
0: You mentioned real estate. I mean, look at the real estate market right now. I'm here in South Florida, and it is booming. It is unlike anything I've ever seen, even in 06, 07. I don't think it's, maybe it's similar to that. Uh, I wasn't in Florida at that point in time, but I ended up did buying here after it came off a little bit in '08 and 09. But right now, housing is, yeah. I mean, it's its running like I, I don't, like and in my lifetime, I'm not sure I've ever lived in an area that's exploding like this. I mean, I'm seeing houses go up 20% sometimes in, in a matter of three months.
1: Yeah. I think uh, what's happening, a combination of factors, the affordability is still, even though prices are high, the affordability is still quite high because interest rates are so low. I mean, we, everyone talks about debt, but, uh, and they look at the stock of debt, but they don't adjust it for what the, what the interest burden of that debt is, you know? Uh, so in you can still buy, a uh, people can still afford a lot of, a lot of house because rates, rates are so low. The other thing is that with a lot of the stimulus money and a lot of the fiscal assistance, it puts people in a better position uh, to make down payments which is another hang up uh, for people and then uh, the the other factor and this is why i'm building uh, one, one of the main reasons I, i've been bullish home builders for quite some time is the millennials and i've been tweeting this since 2015 i think that the, you know in 2020 is when the millennials hit the workforce in uh hit, hit, hit you know kind of peak hitting the work workforce and it lasts for a, a couple few years we're in that right now and when people are in kind of their their peak contribution to the job market, it's also peak household formation. And that means they're buying houses. So you've got a favor, we we went from having a, a demographic headwind to having a demographic tailwind. And that's also good for growth, by the way, uh, economic growth. Uh, and, and that plus the low rates and the fact that people have a little bit more liquidity uh, savings with which to make down payments is is a lot of what we're, what we're seeing right now. And to add the thing on the home builders, why I like them is, uh, it, they have post traumatic stress disorder from the last crisis so they've been underbuilding so these guys are sitting on basically they, they they have demand on tap they've got a backlog that they can just kind of turn on turn turn off in fact some of the home builders in their latest quarters were talking about how they've been raising prices to cool off their demand because it's it's just too uh, too uh too strong that they can't they can't keep up but they've been underbuilding and uh because you know just the, you know how it is if you have a really bad trade in an asset sometimes it's hard to go back to that asset right oh, Totally. happening with these guys they, they they had near-death experiences from overbuilding uh in 2007 and they don't want to go back to that so it's it's a great it's a great sector and the and the and the, uh, the valuations are not not uh not that demanding uh average valuation in the sector is you know 10 uh E's are 10 to uh 10 to the uh, 14 percent 10 to 14 times so it's a um, it's a good it's a good theme, but that's, I think this is what's happening in the ho- in the housing market. We're seeing some of that here, even though our little market is a bit special. Uh,
0: yeah, in California, and, and, and I, I little think
1: east down with limited supply, so <laughs> yeah. we can't physically add. There's nowhere physically to add houses, so that changes the dynamic uh, a, a, a little bit.
0: So you really just believe that this boom i'll call it that we're seeing in real estate you it sounds to me as though you think it's it's sustainable
1: i do i do now if interest rates go up prices will come off to some degree but the affordability should stay roughly the same right you you know pay a higher rate on the lower uh, on on, a, on on a lower price but if, just think about it uh think and this does raise an issue about about, about interest rates if, if you were to double your you know your, let's say you're you're paying two and a half percent Uh, mortgage, which is not unheard of, right? Uh, uh, Particularly if you have something like a 10-1 or something along those lines. And it goes up to three and a half, right? That's, or let's say three three and three quarters. So it increases by 50%. That's way more important for the affordability than uh, a 10% move in the housing price. And when people buy houses, they look at the payment. They say, can we afford the payment? That's what they say. They don't, the The price, the overall price is, is, is not as important as, as the payment.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I look at it differently, but I know a lot of people do look at it that way. Right. Uh, and when I look at this overall market and everything that I'm saying, you know, as a trader, when I see anything move this much, Maybe with the exception of crypto, (laughs) because that's just blown out every sort of uh, risk parameters I've ever had in my life and what I've seen there. Um, I just always start to say, is this really sustainable? You know, and I get cautious, but. um, Fundamentals
1: are there. The private sector balance sheets are in good shape. uh, Home builders haven't gone out over their skis in spec uh, or built in building. Uh, and uh, the demographics are very good, so yeah, could prices cool off, particularly if they raise rates a little bit? Yeah, but uh, I just don't see the kind of uh, collapse. Um, and there's certainly not uh, loads and loads of derivatives, of uh, you know, derivatives on derivatives uh, on the on the housing market these days, which yes. really was the, which is really why the the decline in housing prices back in 2008 was so deep.
0: Yeah, I agree with you on that. I mean, it definitely is different in what we're saying in the context of how things are moving up now versus then. And I want to talk about how you're investing and trading in this. I mean, I've gotten to know you over the years, you know, you put your money where your mouth is. You're not somebody who just talks macro, you actually do this stuff and recently you told me you had your best investment run ever and you're now starting to de-risk. So it sounds to me as though obviously you think whatever it is that you've had is now uh, anytime someone's de-risking is they think that it's probably reached the level to where (laughs) they want to take some off. Um, Talk to us about what you see right now. Uh, Maybe if you want to talk about some of the positions that you have, areas that you're de-risking, and even mention some of the areas that you see uh, that you'll be looking for or scouting for opportunities.
1: Okay. So that's, that's a great question. So some of this is, um, you know, sitting on your lead. Uh, it's been such an amazing start to the year. I've never had one quite like this. That I'm happy to take some chips off the table. I think right now we're seeing you know put call ratios are low, optimism is fairly high. We're entering this you know bad seasonality, and, and I'm not a slave to seasonality, but as as Michael Santoli of CNBC likes to say, it does it is the climate. It might not be the weather, but it's the climate. And we know come this time of year uh, we, we often enter the doldrum. So if you've had a really good, uh, you know, kind of a spectacular run, uh, why not take a little bit off the table and, and, uh, you know, take your foot off the accelerator a little bit. Some of the positions like in the home builders I was mentioning, I I've, I've held on to, uh, because I think there's more fundamental value there. Uh, and then we'll see how things shake out. Maybe I, I was involved in a lot of the recovery plays, you know, the banks and oil and, uh, those kinds of things. And those I've, I've, i de-risked, uh, from and if they fall enough or they tread water enough, I, I'm not shy about getting back in. I think you know, the, we have more, plenty more recovery uh, ahead of us. Uh, I've, I've plugged this a couple of times because I think it's really helpful for people who uh, it's just easy to be bearish, it's just easy to find things to be negative about. We all know this as traders. And uh, Jan Hatzius, the, the, the chief economist at Goldman Sachs, uh, he uh, did a podcast. Uh, uh, not too long ago, where he he talked about pr- uh, private sector balance sheets, right, and, and what and, and their relationship to economic cycles. And basically, he was saying that it's really hard to get any kind of recession when you have um, public, uh, private sector balance sheets in this kind of shape, right? They're in really good shape. And the and the federal government, if you think about it, we're are pump, pumping more money into the private se- into private sector balance sheets, right, through fiscal through all the fiscal stimulus. Uh, and, and some of the Fed uh, lending facilities, but mostly the fiscal stimulus. So uh, it just seems unlikely we're going to have anything but a good recovery. There may be bumps in it, what have you, but it, it's, I think we're in a really, really good place. Uh, it, it's more just sitting on your lead a little bit, uh, taking, a, uh, taking a breath at a time of year where it's often prudent to take a breath, uh, and then looking around and see what other opportunities show up. So I'll jump back into those names if I see uh, those kinds of names and sectors if I see an opportunity. Uh, and otherwise I've been watching, uh, you know, Amazon and Apple and Google go sideways for since, since, since last August. Now they might be breaking out now. I don't fully trust it, but, uh, I understand that people do, uh, that that's probably going to be the next good trade. It just seems to me a little premature for that, but I may be wrong. Right. Uh, we've seen this interesting dynamic where, uh, it appeared that these big tech names, uh, a lot of the tech names were correlated to interest rates, right? you started to hear people talk about their duration of an equity, if it's a long duration equity or a short duration equity. I think that's a lot of, uh, a lot of bunk. What, what really happened is uh, they're confusing the correlation uh, between uh, big, the large cap tech and, and yields as causation. But what's what they're both being driven by people's percep- perception of the economic cycle. The reason the, the recovery trade, as I like to call it, has ripped since since the elections, really, right since the election back in November, uh, it, th- is because people saw that there were better prospects for recovery, and they said, I. I and so, what do they do? They sell bonds and they get into uh, stocks that would benefit from you know, the cyclical type. Uh, stocks that benefit from a recovery, and uh, uh, they sell bonds, and then they sell the tech names. And the reason they got into the tech names is because they were pessimistic about our growth prospects, and they wanted to get into um, names and sectors that had secular growth. Right? They wanted growth that was independent of the economic cycle. So when recovery looks better, you sell those names that are that uh, have secular growth, independent of the cycle, and you sell bonds, and 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 uh, and and, uh, and uh, you sell your bonds and you buy the recovery names. And so we've been toggling back and forth between these two for, uh, for, for some time. Uh, and we might, might be toggling back, but there's no causation from the lower rates onto the tech names. It's just that they both are correlated to our growth prospects.
0: Final thoughts uh, for today, before I let you go, I'd like to talk about two markets that I have been pretty active in uh, as of late and, that's oil and crypto. Just want to know what your thoughts are on oil. And I know that you chart Bitcoin. I've been in Ethereum. I've talked a lot about this on the show. And it's been pretty much my biggest position right now I'm sitting on uh, is Ethereum just because the chart just looked like something I I, I just had. I couldn't. I couldn't get myself not to push the button. You know what I mean? Uh,
1: I, know, I know. I've seen those charts too. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and also with all of the NFTs and everything, I've been reading about with Visa now accepting uh, USDC, and that's all being done on Ethereum. Just all these things. You know, the more I start to see things in news that coincides with charts, I tend to like those kinds of plays. But uh, oil has been getting me uh, a little chopped up as of late. I'm bullish it still, but just thoughts on oil and
1: crypto. So oil is, it has, uh, I, I stopped out of my oil short uh, this morning, as a matter of fact, uh, I've been, it, it looked like it was doing kind of a continuation wedge to the, the downside. We ha- had had a lot of uh, enthusiasm in it, and the oil name stopped uh, performing uh, a couple of weeks ago, but it, oil really hasn't broken down. Uh, it, it's got this wedge pattern uh, that... Um, it's gonna break one way or another, and uh, it's just not clear clear to me yet, so for now I'm staying away until I get a, until I get a clear a clear read uh, on Bitcoin. I never ever thought we would go back to nineteen thousand right when, <laughs> when, when I fell that time I shorted it uh then that was an awesome one of the best trades of my life really um, uh but uh, i I just thought it was over it was not coming back and it's it's done ama- it's done amazingly amazingly well I still don't get why it's, I mean, I, I don't see how it helps the quality of my life. I don't need anonymous transactions. I get the, I get uh, that there's value for some people in certain circumstances to be able to give someone else money without going through any other entity, right? Uh, for, uh, no, no moral judgment on that. You know, Whatever it happens to be there, I can see that there's a case for it. I just don't think it's that big of a case. Certainly not in my life. So when I talk to people who, a lot of the people who are buying it, they say, I go, well, what's the use case? And they go, well, you know, number go up. It's going up. The price is going up. So, well, let's just assume the price didn't change. How would it help you in your, you know, how would it make your life easier? Uh, you know, like the way Venmo does or some of these other things. And they say, because it's kind of expensive to trade and, and it's not always uh, uh, easy. There's some friction there. And people say it, it doesn't. It, it, it doesn't. So, I, you know, it, I I get that people are speculating in it uh and, but i don't see a, a compelling uh use case for the average the average person uh and i also uh, am extremely skeptical well, not skeptical i know that the a lot most of its proponents when they talk about monetary policy they have no idea what they're talking about they really you know <laughs> the the guy from microstrategy saying well they're increasing the money supply by 15% a year so first he's he's confusing base money with the money supply and secondly, he said, it's increasing by 15% a year. And that means the dollar's losing 15% of value. As we talked about earlier, there's no correlation between base money and the value of the dollar or even the money supply. We've seen plenty of periods in, in, in our history when money supply was going up and the dollar was going up. So there's just no, no, no correlation. So it's hard for me to buy into something where I don't see fundamentally, right? Apart from looking at the charts uh, where I don't see a compelling use case for the average person and uh the monetary narratives that underpin it for a lot of people uh, are embarrassingly bad
0: A couple things first isn't it but funny the chart looks
1: good we had a nice yeah. breakout today and maybe and and and, and uh, on bitcoin i'm talking about yeah. and maybe that's just uh having to do with coinbase and as we were talking about earlier the the ipo tomorrow and maybe it ends up being a fake a fake breakout a fake out but uh, the chart definitely looks good
0: Isn't it funny how two guys like you and myself, and I would consider both of us um, traditionalists in the sense of the markets that we trade, right, Um, have two of our biggest trades. The biggest trade I've had this year is in Ethereum. And for you, one of the biggest trades you ever had was in Bitcoin. I find that to be pretty funny because it's not markets that-
1: It wasn't the biggest trade uh, profit-wise because it was a short, right? Uh, And your position gets smaller as it goes down. Yes. So it's, it's hard to make as much, but in terms of just kind of execute the satisfaction of a, of catching a move like that, uh, it was definitely my best trade.
0: Yeah. I mean, not my biggest trade ever by any stretch, uh, what I, what I have so far in Ethereum, but I'm just, it's my biggest trade in, 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 a, in a little period of time, but it just, I just find it to be funny that two guys like you and I, who don't really, you know, this is not really assets that you and I would probably even say that we would, uh, be looking to trade i don't know not too long ago and they end yeah. up having some big trades because w- once again when it comes down to it uh, we're traders or investors at hearts and if you if you see opportunity you know you go after it but i want to talk a little bit more about how i look at crypto and i look at it like this for me the reason i got into this ethereum trade and wh- why i'm really more focused on ethereum is going back to What I said a little bit about how I looked, first of all, the chart, I definitely, I mean, speculation, people say it's all speculation. Well, that's what we do anyway. I mean, so for me, I can manage my risk. If I'm wrong, it's no different than losing on any other asset I'm trading. But it's one of those things where I see so much, I see so many more people talking about it that in my career as a trader the things I've missed out on a lot are when things start to get hot and they start to get talked about. And all of a sudden you have these moves that just become so much bigger than you ever anticipated that I didn't participate in. And so in my mind, I look at it and say, I don't know ultimately if it's going to be a life changer. Uh, I do think that there will be a lot of use cases for it down the road. Maybe I don't see what they are. I don't know what they are at this point. I'm I'm not a crypto expert in how it will change things. But I, from my niece and nephew to all of the younger people, they talk about it, and and I tend to listen to what these this younger generation is is doing. And to me, I look at it and say, I just it's not going anywhere. So um, price wise, I agree with what you said. If it wasn't moving, would I be looking at it? Is it changing my life right now? No, but price is moving, and more people are talking about it. That's why you know, for me, I look at it and say, "Why not?" Um, manage your risk like you do anything else. So that's exactly, just kind
1: of exactly. In fact, I, I really related to what you said earlier about uh, you see a certain chart and you just have to buy it. I mean, you have to. You see certain chart patterns, and you know you know with a high probability, not certainty, but a high probability of what that means. And, and I, recently, so as 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 you know, I have a I have kind of a a trading. Uh, I I have two Twitter handles, right? There's Markdown and then there's Behavioral Macro, which is kind of like a, a little trading school where I help guys manage their risk and give them macro hints and and, and things like that. So it's a subscription, month to month subscription service. And the other day, I tweeted out on on that. Uh, I, I I sent out a picture of a chart, and I said you would have to pay me not to buy this chart. Yeah. I, because you just if, if you 've been doing this long enough, you recognize these patterns and you know certain patterns carry very high odds of success, and you just have to go. Bitcoin has had that a couple of times
0: Oh yeah, For I sure. look at it I mean i've forced enough trades in my life to know that when i'm being forced in that's a good trade. you know yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean because there's so many times I think I see things that are going to turn out to be great and they end up turning out to be you know big losers um, okay. uh, or the just process
1: forces you to do your, it you forced process. me to. Forces you to buy something. Goes, I just I'm not feeling it, but I know I'm supposed to. So I'm, your process, <laughs> you know, saves you exactly.
0: Uh, well, you uh, you mentioned that you have a subscription. Uh, before I let you go today, tell everybody where they could find you on Twitter and talk a little bit about your subscription.
1: Yeah, so it, it, Mark Dow is, is my main trip. Mark underscore Dow is my main Twitter handle where I tweet bad jokes and dog pictures and macro and other stuff. And then I have a, a service that uh, is thirty bucks a month and if you don't like it after one month, you're gone, uh, you know, you can leave and you can come back later if you want to. It's, it's I, the idea is to have a low cost service. People can come in and out. They come in and, it's, it's, it, and they'll stay as long as they think they're learning stuff. And when they get what they need from me, uh, they can, uh, you know, they can move on and, and apply it. And I talk a lot about risk management and a lot of the issues that you talk about, Anthony, that I love that, uh, how understanding yourself uh, and in, in, in your process you know, mental capital, all these kinds of things that experienced traders get and that, uh, that other people uh, take time to acquire, I try and impart those, uh, those things on, uh, you know, behavioral macro is the handle, uh, and it's, it's run by Primo Social, but you can, you can, if you go to, you go to the, uh, uh, the, the page for uh, behavioral macro, you'll see, you can click on one of the links there if you want to take a look uh, at it, but yeah, it's, it's, it's great because there have been several guys now that have gone, gone ahead and gotten jobs at big shops, and they came in knowing a lot of macro, but they went away going, wow, I learned a lot about risk management or guys that had been traders, but really didn't see the macro picture. And I helped, help them fill that in. Uh, and then just ask them questions on, you know, sometimes in DM they'll ask me about this, how to structure this position and that position. And I said, well, I don't know how you run your portfolio exactly, but this is how I would approach it. These are kind of the risk parameters and how to think about it. You know, when to add risk, would to take off risk, how to set stops. If you, you know, all that kind of stuff. The stuff that you and I have spent a long time acquiring, right?
0: Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, uh, for me, the basic fundamentals of how to trade uh, is something that I went through, you know, obviously in in my career, my journey at the beginning, you know, being on the floor, going to electronic. And over the years, you filled in so many uh, pieces for me in understanding macro and specifically today, how we talked about behavior. And you know, I know that you talk about behavioral macro, and, I, and today, just hearing you talk about how the Fed was, um, or what QE was, and how it was actually working, and how it was not actually the Fed, or when it wasn't actually QE that uh, was the cause, it was how the behavior changed in people, uh, and, and to me, that just fits right into what you have taught me over the years about behavioral um, macro.
1: Uh, it's, uh, it's helpful to, you know, I find a lot of guys, uh, find it helpful to fill in holes in, 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 uh, in, their, in, in their toolkit, right? I mean, I, I, so you at least started in a, tra- in a trading capacity. I started yeah. out as an economist, you know, proper education, an economist, worked at the Treasury Department, worked at the IMF, that kind of thing. And it, it, to make that transition to learn how to trade uh, was harder right? I had to figure a lot of things out because it was totally foreign to me. At least if you're in Chicago there and you're in the pits and you're around a trading environment and everybody knows how to, anybody who survived there has figured out how to manage their risk, right? Um, From where I, where I came from, it was, oh, if you liked it at 50, you must really like it at 25. (laughs) (laughs) And that can get you killed. I mean, there may be times that that, that, that's applicable, but it can also, it can also get you killed and you have to learn, you have to learn these tricks. So, you know, kind of Melding these things together uh, is, uh, is uh, I find it very, very helpful for me in, in, in my inter- investing and trading.
0: Yeah, no, no doubt. Mark, you're great. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, always a pleasure to speak with you. And as usual, I learned a ton, man. Thank you so much for coming on Futures Radio Show today.
1: Thanks, Anthony. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to be with you.
0: Thank you for listening to Futures Radio Show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. You can listen to all of our episodes on futuresradioshow.com, iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher.